pencil in the apocalypse. I gotta get up at five o'clock in the morning and sparkle, Neely, sparkle. I know what some of your big city no bra wearing hairy legged women livers might say. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Maximum Film. It's episode 264, so use a chair to prop open that door. It's your host, <laughs> Ippy Wadiwe, and in the booth with me are my friends. So let me introduce you to them. First up, someone who is growing stronger as we get closer to the Christmas time. We are but a midnight strike away from truly releasing the Christmas zaddy himself, Alonzo Duralde, super critic. What's good? Well, yeah, it's true. We're we are less than a hundred days away from Christmas now, so I am uh, I, I am assuming my final form. Uh, what is good with me is uh, the fine folks at Sprinkles. You know, like they have their regulars, their year rounds. You walk into any Sprinkles anywhere, anytime, and you know you are gonna get uh the uh the the a red velvet you're going to get a black and white cupcake um but uh you know they're doing a a special thing right now with uh women chefs basically and they are uh you know doing some some limited time things with different uh sort of uh pastry chefs from from different restaurants and uh they have just kicked off with uh, I don't know who Claudette Zepeda is but she's my new favorite person on earth because she is the creator of something called La Gloria and La Gloria is a caramel cupcake with pecans a core of dulce de leche Salted caramel frosting and a dusting of cinnamon sugar. And it's one of the greatest things I've ever put in my mouth. I don't know how long it's going to be at Sprinkles. If it were me, they would make it part of the permanent menu. But currently, it's only there through September 25th. So chop, go, go, go now. Get it. That core of dulce de leche will knock your socks off. If you are a caramel person, get this thing and eat it. It's so great. Do they have a version without pecans for people who think nuts no, are disgusting? No, they don't. So I guess you're going to have to, you know. Claudette wants pecans. Yeah, yeah. You're going to have pecans. Yeah, as they say, nut up or shut up. Uh, yes, chef. <laughs> yes, chef. <laughs> oh, next up, we have the super producer and festival programmer who we all delight to talk to, especially when they try to ignore their crown as queen of the Midwest. It's none other than Drea Clark. What's good? <laughs> What's good with me actually pertains to the Midwest to a certain Ooh. way. Um, as you guys know, I'm from Minnesota, but my extended family, the majority of them are from and live in the great state of Nebraska and, uh, on go Huskers, go Huskers and the entire side of my dad's family. Basically everyone works for the railroad. And last week, um, seemingly, uh, with the help of the Biden administration, a gigantic, rail strike was avoided. The uh, union for the railroads have yet to fully ratify, so who knows, but like the railroad workers were asking for really ridiculous things like um, getting, being able to take days off. Sick days. Sick days, which they currently are not, and they have like ridiculous hours. And uh, also a cap on medical expenses that they have to pay through their insurance. So yeah, I am someone who's grateful to labor to the core Hopefully my family go Union Pacific, uh, get what they need out of it, even while they all still spend all their time on Facebook bemoaning Biden, bemoaning being a nice term. And I'm like, okay, cool. Well, 
you know. Yeah, I had no idea that rail workers get 30 days off a year. And I don't mean 30 days off in addition to weekends. I mean 30 yeah. days off oh, yeah. for the entire yeah. year. That is staggering. And they're pretty much always on call. Yeah. Nuts. So, you every know. Every one of them has worked through every Christmas that I've spent in yeah. Nebraska. So, like yay organized labor. In. Get yours. This is yeah. crazy. Yeah. Yeah. That is uh, that is wild. I, I think one of the just to touch touch on it for a quick second, but it is, it is like you know as someone who is in like three unions right now, um, <laughs> like unions really are like advocating for you know necessary things like that. But it is wild when I see it turn into like a bipartisan thing when really like the quote unquote blue collar worker yeah. uh, needs unions to make sure that the uh, bourgeoisie uh, does not uh, force them um, to, uh, you know, just uh, work unethical hours, et cetera, et cetera. So it is funny to see the the uh, political theater that happens and how they're trying to justify uh, why, in fact, unions are bad. But, yeah. you know, oh, I saw somebody I saw somebody refer to this as a sweetheart deal. Like, yes, the sweetheart <laughs> deal of getting sick days. Can you Yikes. imagine? Iffy oh. and all your unions. What's good? Yes. <laughs> oh, man. What's good with me? Well, you know. Uh, it has to be, you know, this, this is, um, this is also a caramel base. What's good. <laughs> but, um, you know, I perused, uh, walked into the TJ's Trader Joe's and noticed that, um, we are deep into fall flavors yep. all across the board and there are Kringles, the Danish Kringle, <gasps> which are essentially just like big round Danishes that you can share and you heat up and they're yummy. They have the pumpkin Kringle back Ooh. in stock, which has caramel in it with pumpkin seeds. So you get a little pumpkin caramel flavor. Uh, truly a treat. If uh, if that sounds good to you, uh, head down to your local TJ's before you hit the sprinkles and just get all, you know, all get, <laughs> get all the flavors. Pastry strike up. Can I say that when I was in the Midwest this summer with my friends that I rent a cabin with every year, uh, someone rolled in with the Kringle. And uh, me, born and bred, never heard of it in my life. They oh were like, my god! They were everyone was aghast. So hearing Iffy casually <laughs> drop that, I, I the shame, the shame I feel. Yeah. And if you live somewhere that is not Trader Joe's uh, adjacent, uh, Kringle.com, uh, the Wisconsin Kringle Company, will do you right oh year god. round. They got the seasonal flavors. It's it's so good. I'm a big fan. It's an actual Wisconsin company, and Alonzo knows that. <laughs> Step it up, queen. Take this crowd. Yeah. Take this crowd. Well, uh, you know, um, look, we're just going to do a quick deep dive into the basements and underlying tunnels of the house of this podcast to talk about Barbarian. And after that, we'll name some movies where we wouldn't want to spend the night. But first, it's time for Ididic, our movie news segment based on the acronym that I just said, which stands for Is This Important? Do I Care? Where we go through the week's movie news and try to answer the question if it's important and if we care. And first up, we have an impossible mission, uh, which is uh, keeping production afloat uh, when there's sheep involved. Mission Impossible 8 has halted production uh, because of a stray flock of sheep. Uh, Mission Impossible 7 doesn't hit theaters until next year, but its sequel, Dead Reckoning Part 2, hit an unexpected production snag while filming in England's Lake District. A flock of sheep wandered across the field that Cruz's character, Ethan Hunt, was supposed to be parachuting into. This is just the latest delay on a two 
two-picture shoot that has already had its share of delays. In fact, partly due to pandemic postponements, Dead Reckoning Part 1 reportedly cost nearly $300 million to make. Is this important? Do you care? Uh, there is a proud history of movies that are way over uh, uh, over calendar and, and over budget uh, to deal with sheep issues. I, I'm thinking specifically of Rex Harrison in the uh, 1967 flop musical Dr. Doolittle, uh, which did <laughs> somehow manage to snag a Best Picture nomination. The fact that um, 20th Century Fox had nightly screenings that included a uh, prime ribbon champagne dinner beforehand might have played into that. Uh, but yeah, there was a whole part where he is, where Harrison has to stand in a field surrounded by sheep and I think sing a number. And he talked later about how they basically just urinated on him the entire time and it was misery. So Tom Cruise, as far as I know, does not burst into song in Mission Impossible 8. But I do think that you know, uh, in the same way they talk about like shooting on the water is always a nightmare uh, for continuity and weather and other things. I think, you know, once sheep get involved, your movie has officially crossed the line to like, uh, you know, uh, very, very expensive and very time consuming. Maybe the dumbest of the livestock. Maybe. <laughs> like I've had to deal. Don't ask me why. But I've definitely had to deal with like, oh, these cows. I got to get these cows from this place to this other place. Wow. These cows don't want to move. Sheep, somehow dumber. Love them, <laughs> but dumb. I really love the idea of Tom Cruise in his thousand, like he always, my he has like really specific pulls for like, he always has like these thousand dollar jeans, even if he's playing an everyman, just him in this stupid $10,000 suit, but waylaid by nature. <laughs> Sorry, Tom Cruise. Even you have to hold for these stupid sheep. Maybe if you had a stuntman, you know, the, the, there'd be a little more flexibility <laughs> here. But right. no, you got to jump out of that plane you yourself. Yeah. I do love them shooting in the Lake District because it truly is one of the most gorgeous places on Earth. And what a what a funny, like, they're, they're normally in, like, these, ooh, we're in, like, this beautiful, like, uh, desert. Or do you know what I mean? These interesting, like, oh, no. Or the just, opera in Eastern Europe, you know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, no, we're going we're gonna to go to England. What I wasn't aware is that Mission Impossible 7 has a part two. So I'm like, yeah, it means it's going to end with a cliffhanger. And you guys yeah. know the gal that waits to binge a whole episode or a whole <laughs> series. I don't like a cliffhanger. You will be forced to see it in two parts, Drea. Oh. <laughs> Joke's on them. I'm going to wait till the second one comes out. <laughs> Not if we do it on this show. Oh, yeah. damn it. All right. Hey, speaking of movies, you oh, guys. yes. Ooh. So uh, a little film, an independent film called The People's Joker was recently pulled from uh, the Toronto International Film Festival. Director and star Vera Drew's film, which tells the story of a trans joker who opens an illegal comedy club in Gotham, was pulled out of the fest after one screening, um, citing rights issues. Details are vague, but it seems possible that Warner Brothers issued a cease and desist order against the film. I heard it was more like a harshly worded letter. Um, but while the film did lead into its illegal nature in promotional materials, the filmmakers contend that it fits into the parody satire territory and does not violate copyright laws. Is this important? Do you care? 
Disney, sorry, not Disney, but one with Disney also, but that's an entire different topic for another day. DC Comics has been an asshole about this kind of thing for a long time. Um, I know that uh, academics who were doing work on Batman, particularly on sort of homoerotic themes in Batman comics, even just for uh, for like for for getting a thesis published couldn't get permission to use like specific frames or images from the comics that would of course underscore the point being made. So uh, I'm not surprised that it, that, that somebody is, um, you know, discussing Batman uh, adjacent characters in a queer context and getting the hammer put down. Not to say that if this weren't a, an LGBTQ movie that they would be any more open to it, but I'm just saying there is a pattern when it comes to queer representation that DC is very much not having it. Um, you know, I'm sure eventually this movie is going to get out there because they always do. And, you know, I think they're they're getting a lot of publicity out of it, so good on them. I mean, certainly, you know, Vera Drew, the filmmaker who made it, said that she made it in part um, because there's always this argument being made that these fiction, her quote is, um, or I guess it's not her quote, but that beloved fictional universes are a shared modern mythology and mm. people draw meaning from them the same way that artists once interpreted Greek myths or painted biblical figures. And I do think there's something true to that. And I also think there's something true to, you know, parody and satire is protected. It is considered fair use for that very reason, because there's um, there's contextual elements that can be pulled from those. It's a, it's a shortcut to certain kind of storytelling or to draw attention to something. And hers is a very clear, I mean, if you see any of the imagery, you know exactly the world they're pulling from. But I definitely feel it's more up in arms because it's a trans storyteller. And there's one thing to be like, oh, we we own this and we want to credit the artists who made it and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And there's another to be like, okay, settle down. Like, honestly, because if she just changed the names of these characters, it was like, oh, it's not Gotham. It's, it's Gotham. Big Cityville. Like, <laughs> all of these things could be easy shifts. And I think they'd still be twitchy about it, which is, again, hilarious when I look at the track record of DC adaptations. Like, oh, you guys have such a high standard of artistic excellence. Oh, it's not as good as Jonah Hex. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sweet Jonah Hex bird, Alonzo. <laughs> but the other, the other part I'll say is we do get films like this submitted to festivals all the time. And TIFF did show the first screening of it. They knew that what they were facing, I'm sure they had a ton of legal discussions before they ever mm -hmm. programmed or announced the program. Um, and I do think it's important for festivals to support this kind of work because I yeah. think, A, we're getting things after people have already put the money and time into them. But B, if you are a gatekeeper of sorts, then opening those doors and both for the creators, but also for the audiences, like that's what makes festivals special. That's what makes them broader than just, um, oh, I'm seeing something that you can catch in three weeks on Netflix. And well, I, I, I mean, did, didn't, I mean, Sundance premiered that movie that was sort of surreptitiously yes. shot at Disney World, which yes. did eventually come out. So, like, you know, I think there's there's a track record there. And, you know, from from Mad Magazine making fun of Mickey Mouse to Larry Flint making fun of uh, Jerry Falwell, the courts generally have defended the right of, of parodists. So I, I, I hope this follows suit. Um, 
as we mentioned before, the Christmas season is nigh upon us. And uh, are we getting a new holiday horror film? Yes, we are. <laughs> Just when you were afraid that all the holiday movie casting announcements were going to be for Feel Good Family Fair, along comes, and I'm not making this up, Violent Nights. Stranger Things star David Harbour is set to play a murderous Santa Claus in the black horror comedy, and he'll be joined by castmates Beverly D'Angelo, obviously a Christmas uh, stalwart herself from Christmas Vacation, Cam Gigandit, and John Leguizamo. The movie is set to premiere at the New York Comic Con in October. Y'all, is this important? Do you care? I love David Harbour so much. Oh, yeah. Also, to have this premiere at New York Comic Con is like probably... The smartest alley-oop. They're like, where where can we get the biggest amassment of David Harbour fans? <laughs> right? And I, yeah, it, was, I, it truly, I was like, wow, this is, this is, y'all, y'all know what y'all do. The dudes that actually watched his Hellboy are all yeah. Yeah. in there. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. forgot that existed. I was just thinking Me? about Stranger oh, yeah. Things in the MCU, <laughs> but you're right. That's a, that's a grand slam. No, he's got, he's got the trifecta. I love David Harbour so much and he's got such a, spe- it's also awesome to see an actor with such a specific energy and tone hit his stride like in his 40s or whatever like I don't know how old he is but you know he he wasn't like he has been doing this for a long time if you look back like David Harbour played like the asshole lawyer or whatever (laughs) in so many movies so many tv shows like he put in his time he's been doing it and to have him break Thank you, producer Marissa, at age, like, well, he's 47 now, but, you know, in the last few years is really fun. And this is the kind of thing I'd like him to do with, oh, you can headline things now. You know who'd be a really great Santa? David Harbour. You know who'd be an even better murderous Santa? (laughs) David Harbour. I saw the one sheet and I was like, okay, you had me at David Harbour in a Santa outfit. Oh, and it's a horror movie? I'm in. Let's make this happen. So good. Yes. Yeah. No. I, it's going to be a fun ride. I'm sure. Uh, would Would something like this be included in the mo- in the Christmas movie minute? I mean, obviously, timing doesn't allow this time. But like, would you include horrors into it, or is it strictly your like? Typical, would I include like- what? <laughs> uh, generally speaking, you know, I, yes, if there's a theatrical one, I would throw that in there as well. Although, who knows? Maybe we'll do a whole episode on it. Who can Ooh. say? Who Dip. can say? I mean, besides us via email. <laughs> uh, <laughs> all right. Well, we're going to take a break, but when we come back, there's something strange in the neighborhood, and it's not ghosts. <laughs> Maximum Film is supported in part by Masterclass. With Masterclass, you can learn from the world's best minds anytime, anywhere, and at your own pace. That is right, and I am one of those minds interested in lifelong learning, not just for smugness, uh, but for real personal enrichment. And I have finally been digging into it. I've been saying I will for a while, and I took a class by Mira Nair on filmmaking. We recently spoke about um, Mississippi Masala and hearing her speak and how she was giving the idea of approaching um, independent filmmaking was fantastic, even for me, for someone who's been doing it for a minute. And even more than that, you know who I am about to dig into? I'm branching out from the arts and entertainment. They have a wellness section and what really 
turned the key for me of like, yes, I am going to enjoy this more. The lessons are generally only around 10 minutes each. So I, in my head, it was like, I don't really have time to do like a whole like university class, like some hour long. No, man, divide them up. Each one just taking small nuggets. So what am I going to do next? That's right. I'm going to learn wilderness survival from Jesse Krebs survivalist. And I am someone, you guys know I worked at a camp for a while. I can build a fire in the rain. But it is very important to me to stay top of the pecking order when it comes to the zombie days. And Jesse Krebs is going to get me there. I'm psyched. I can't wait. I've enjoyed what I've taken so far. We believe in you, Drea. Check it out today. Get unlimited access to every masterclass. And as a Maximum Film listener, you get 15% off an annual membership. Go to masterclass.com slash maxfilm. That's masterclass.com slash M-A-X-F-I-L-M for 15% off masterclass. Mm, let's get back to the show. Welcome back to Maximum Film. I'm Yosef Uwadiway, in the studio with me are... Drea Clark. Alonzo Duralde. And today we're talking about a horror movie directed by Zach Krager. And, uh, you know, continuing uh, the, the, the long-ish... Long, I don't actually know the length of this history, but comedy people doing horror stuff. You know, Jordan Peele-type beats. It all takes place in and under a little house on Barbary Street. The movie has quietly raked in over $20 million over the past two weekends. So, Alonzo, would you mind hitting us with a brief synopsis of Barbarian? Sure. And before I get into it, uh, we are about to spoil the shit out of this movie because there's no way to talk about it <laughs> otherwise. And... Everybody is right when they say you should know as little as possible going into Barbarian. You should see it, but you should see it as cold as you can be. So if you haven't had the opportunity to see Barbarian, please turn this podcast off. Please go see the movie and come back and join us for a discussion because I, for one, had a great time and I'm thrilled that I I went in knowing nothing and I want to let you have that experience as well. So... If you're still here, I assume that means you've seen it, so we can talk about everything. So basically, a young woman goes to Detroit for a job interview. She has an Airbnb, gets there only to discover that somebody else also has the same Airbnb. Weirdly enough, a setup for at least one Hallmark Christmas movie, but this, we know, is not going to go in that direction. And uh, so as she, a, a you know wet in the middle of the night, the, isn't sure what this dude is about. A uh, woman goes through, uh, uh, you know, getting getting settled in. Uh, we get a lot of uh, uh, some zigs and some zags. Is this guy trustworthy? Is he sketchy? What's the deal? Once it seems like we have a firm grasp of what his deal is, then we discover the whole other part of the house. And then once we discover the whole other part of the house, we meet the people that live there. And then we get a flashback to find out who those people are. And then we meet Justin Long, who it turns out owns the house and is a piece of shit movie star who is about to lose everything because he has sexually assaulted a co-star and she is going public with those allegations and then and then and then and then barbarian um i would like to shout out netflix's love in the villa with tom hopper and cat graham that i watched a month ago when it came out and the first 15 (laughs) minutes of which are almost identical to Barbarian. <laughs> the remainder, not so much. It's a handy trope. It it, it, it lends itself to all kinds of different uh, genres. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, this this film uh, does 
a lot to uh, play on a lot of horror tropes to use it to misdirect the viewer. But, uh, you know, the first overall misdirect I want to ask about is, uh, you know, a lot of people went into the movie knowing almost nothing about it. Uh, that's generally our rule. But just to be sure, was that, you know, everyone's take? Did y'all go in blind or did y'all go in without knowing anything? I certainly did. You guys know I avoid trailers as much as I can. I'm weirdly more aware of casting like a year and a half ahead of time. And then I try and know as little as possible because I love being surprised by stories and they are generally built, especially horror stories to surprise you. Um, so it is kind of the ideal way. Definitely. Honestly, the old, and this is, it's written and directed by Zach Kreger, who as if he said, is like has a comedy background. He's one of the whitest guys in the world. Whitest kids you know. Whitest kids you know. He's also probably yeah. one of the whitest guys in the world, to be fair. <laughs> one of the whitest kids you know, a comedy troupe, like, super funny dude. And if it wasn't called Barbarian, I would have been like, huh, I wonder if this is going to be a comedy. And then been real thrown. So, yeah, I, I didn't know and I was I benefited from that lack of knowledge. I had to edit a review for the rap that Simon Abrams wrote, but hats off to him for writing it so vaguely. I knew... Basically, the initial setup, and I knew that Justin Long was in it, but that was about it. Like, I really didn't know where the horror came from. I didn't know what the how things were going to escalate. So, yeah, it was a constant surprise for me, which was which was great. Uh, same for you, Evie. Yeah, I was dead blind. All I kind of knew of it was just the billboard and Emily being like, oh, I really want to see this scary movie and me going, well, we're not going to see it. And then y'all going, well, yeah, we're going to talk <laughs> about this movie. And I was like, oh, okay. Well, you I guess were not we're happy see with it. us. Yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, no, it was uh, it was fun. You know, um, like we said, spoilers ahoy, because the, the one of my favorite things is kind of a, a spoiler, which is the way they kind of played with with Bill Skarsgård up top yeah. and really kind of first by casting Bill Skarsgård. Yeah, yeah. First by casting, but he he's the person she has booked an Airbnb um, shows up and there's someone else there and he is the someone else there who's like, oh, I booked it on. This, this other home thing. away or whatever, this other site. And they're like, oh, you're, you know, like easy mix up. But there's, you know, it's a thunder and lightning and she's distrustful. And you're so right. So keep going. Because I do think that him yeah. being that guy made like it. Oh, look, it's it, Pennywise. Right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. He's like, yeah, we're not going to trust you. Don't follow but that also, dude down into anything. Yeah. yeah. But like, yeah, there's the element of that. But like even within that fake out. They played the fake out like they were faking us out as if they're trying to convince us he wasn't a bad guy. So it was like that layer to where we went. And so much so, um, you know, in, so what happens, the, the, the big reveal is they go, she gets trapped in the basement. Uh, she finds a rope that has a pathway mm -hmm. and she finds a room in that pathway with a camera and a bed. And that's all we see. There. A cot and so, a stained mattress and a yeah. bucket. Hand and like, uh, like a, like a 1987, like camp, like camp camp yeah. order on a on tripod. A tripod. Yeah. yeah. Oh, and God. He, when she reveals this to him, he's kind of just kind of nonplussed. And he's like, what? There's a camera like, and a bed? It's yeah. like, no, more adjectives, lady. You're not yeah. selling it hard enough. <laughs> so then he goes down there and starts calling her. So we are so sure that it's like, oh, this is the trap. This is where it all happens. Mm. 
That room is just a small piece to a very big story. And then the moment we start to trust him, he's dead. Uh, he's dead immediately. <laughs> truly. You truly <laughs> don't know where you – and I, I will say, Zach Kreger, one of the uh, whitest people kids you in know, the world. Whitest kids you know. <laughs> nope. One of the whitest dudes around. He builds just that beginning section, the different tones they play with, the the misdirects, but it's also so believably played. It's not like, oh, it's so huge. Like you get these small, like this guy is like nerdy and he's got this like electric toothbrush and she notices he's like plugged it in and it's sitting on the ground because there's nowhere to put it. Like there's these great details that make you loosen up like, oh, maybe he is just a, and then for some, there's like small things or it's just, it's, it's set up so well and it's really what makes a very simple premise kind of sore because you get so much more out of both of these characters in their interactions and their ideas of like who they are as people. And you also, that's what I mean. Love in the villa. There's full romantic beats. Like there's this full, like, Oh, cause again, as someone who wasn't sure what barbarian was going to turn into, like, yeah. I'm like, are they going to, there's almost that moment out? where he's like, like, he's kind of, you know, as they say in the movie, Stevie, hopefully lingering, yes! uh, you know, to see if maybe she's going to be like, you know, invite him to share the bed and then not. And it's been and then, legitimately cute. So I was like, Oh, who, who knows? And then, it, then, you know, he has a night terror or whatever. I just, I, I, feel like going the extra step and also the structure of this movie is so unexpected it is a hard 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 cut from them in the basement and bloody horribleness to justin long scooting along in a convertible (laughs) on the pch next to the ocean and you're and and i was like wait what is this is this are these we, short is this films? the wrong reel? I truly, I was like, did they just they just put the wrong second reel on? Am I watching a Justin Long comedy? And that the shaping, and then to like be able to keep that tension going. But the other thing about the writing, and I and I would love to know if it struck you guys as much as I did. But again, having um, the the whitest homeboy on the planet be the one to do this. This guy so genuinely was like, oh, yeah, men are probably trash. Like, oh, yeah, it's OK if your baseline assumption is that men are trash. It's probably safer. Yeah. Right. Oh, yeah, definitely. No question. The structure of this screenplay, I think, is just really brilliant. The way that they can incorporate the smash cut to the West Coast and then, oh, and oh, 40 years earlier. Like all of yeah. these things that you would think like wouldn't piece together, but they do so beautifully. And the the, the thematic thing of Justin Long's character having to then kind of come face to face with him having to come face to face with who and what he is in oh, this yeah. situation. Yes. Definitely. And also like, you know, <laughs> just the, the, the revelation of that and that scene was great, but also just him playing just the perfect asshole till the end. And truly one, one thing is like the design of it and how like snappy it is, is so fun to me. Like when she's remembers all the things she forgot and we just get quick cuts of where she left it. Mm. And it's almost feels like we're in her head with kind of seeing the same thoughts of like, fuck. And, um, just also giving us another deep blue sea type death that, <laughs> you know, you knew it was coming, but because it was, Present it that way. You were totally okay with it. <laughs> yeah. 
I think that the setup of, of like why those deaths or why any of these or even this unusual structure is that the right amount of effort was put into giving us as much or as little backstory as we needed. Like we got a good reading on who she was as a person and you find out that's great because she's sympathetic. She's our heroine. But it's also even more crucial when you meet Justin Long and you're like, oh, that's your exact opposite. That's your right. Because she is someone who is like good of heart. She is, tr- you know, trying to be uh, intelligent and looking out for herself. But she is giving people the benefit of the doubt. She doesn't want to leave people behind. She wants to help other people out. And then it makes it that when you go to Justin Long, and I think if he, what's really interesting about him playing the consummate asshole is, more importantly, he's the consummate nice guy asshole. Mm. He is someone who, like, you meet him and he's been charged with this thing, but it's Justin Long. So you're like, well, is this a, oh, God, is this going to be, how are they going to deal with a complicated sexual assault? charge like wow what am i doing and then it's like you peel back you see more of his personality and character come to and again that makes all of those deaths or i mean we already said spoilers somebody at least one person dies in this movie how's that (laughs) but um it makes harm that comes to people mean so much more if you're like oh you fundamentally deserve it yeah, or and, and she's she's willing to go back in. Like she escapes this nightmare scenario, and it's willing to go back in to rescue this guy that she doesn't even know. Yeah, and yeah. he clearly would not do. And the he same d- for and her. every <laughs> everything that she does, his character then has a counter action for it in his mm. part of like yes. every grace that she gives, he does not give. Every you know, it's yeah. it's it's so well done that way. I have yeah. I have one tiny like screenwriting quibble that's minor does not in no way ruins the movie for me the fact that not only do these two people like book the same airbnb but the fact that his broker isn't aware that either of them are there yeah i I almost started thinking is there some conspiracy here where like the broker is in on it and they're sending people to this house but no it just somehow they're just out of the loop on both of these I think the broker hates him and hated him even before. (laughs) And so I think she was like, I don't care about you, sir, or your thought. Like, you own this property. You've clearly never been here. Like, you're the worst. You are the worst. (laughs) You'll get get consideration when you get it. Yeah. Oh, you're famous. That's great. Yeah. 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 Oh, oh, great. You've put it all off to me. Uh, but yeah, the also one thing I really liked um, was the stylistic nature. Oh, and I was just uh, two things I want to give credit for the stylistic nature of the way the 80s scene was shot, like is like mm-hmm. that kind of mm-hmm. like fisheye kind of like mm-hmm. in the back and going. And also like, you know, this is a movie with sexual assault is in it. Like there's there's there's, uh, there's a lot of it's happening. But like this is a movie that also shows the art of not having to show everything. Yeah. Like even the labels on the VHS tapes tell you all you need to know. And then even when he plays it, it just shows his reaction to it. And, you know, on, and even like, I thought it was more harrowing seeing him open that window and leave. Like we didn't have to see what happened. We knew everything. Oh, 
when that guy leaves the drugstore and he's he's in the camera's in the car with him and it stops and you're like, what are we doing? What are we? What visual information are you looking for? And then you realize, oh, it's the single woman getting into her car and he is watching so we can follow her. That was I had a full body. Oh yeah, I saw her before he stopped the car. I I. No, they handled his stuff so well. His creepiness, his what he was asking for, his comments, like the neighbor. And they also, I mean, there's so many small things that are picked up on here. Like the idea when you flashed back to the sort of late 70s, 80s, and the neighbor's like, oh, we got to get out now while we can. I'm like, yeah, white flight, leaving Detroit. Mm. And that that guy was like, I'm never going to leave here. And that was such a like intense weird moment and you're like oh he's not ever gonna leave there but then that's also mirrored to the idea that she's there interviewing to be part of a documentary in the first place talking about artists revitalization of detroit right the revitalization of detroit and then for bill skarsgård's character to be like oh i'm i'm one of those guys (laughs) you both get uh Oh, see, once again, it's complicated. Either this is great because this guy's part of this artist collective or are you just gentrifying uh, like a forgotten or like abandoned city? Sure. It's so nicely complicated and it's you're either going to get that or you're not. And then yeah. the way that, like, you know, we are we are set up to think that, like, the homeless guy who is yelling at her is yes. terrifying and needs to be avoided. And yes. the cops are going to somehow help. Yes. And th- th- neither of those things are true. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, you know, um, he's been on a, a few other Max Fun uh, pods. I thought we might have had him on a Max film. But Kurt Ronneler was oh, yeah. uh, so perfect as neighbor white <laughs> Like, yeah, this is the role you were born to play, Kurt. He was just, just like he was like. So are you? And also, like, I like when you have these kind of like off-handed conversations that give you the information and kind of like is giving you the information of how this neighborhood came to where it is, where you have yeah. all these people being like, "I'm out of here. You're you're staying." He's like, "I'm not going nowhere." So you're like very aware of why. This like this house is so pristine in this like dilapidated neighborhood, right. and then um, no one notices or hears anything because no one's around except for the homeless guy who lives by the water tower. You know, yeah. That this weirdly would make an interesting double feature with Roger and me, just because like Stop the whole thing it. about ah! you know, well, no, the auto industry implodes. I agree. I hundred percent agree. And so like the the people, I mean, yeah, part of that is white fly, but part of it is like I got to sell this house while my house is worth anything. You know. Well, it's still, I watched this. I was like, what I know of of um, Detroit, I know from 8 Mile, from Only Lovers Left Alive, <laughs> from Don't Breathe, and now oh, right. from this. None of them make me want to buy a house there. I'll uh, say, oh, go ahead. No, I say, and this definitely has some, some part of the expression DNA in common with Don't Breathe. It definitely. Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. I, I definitely. <laughs> Okay, great pun. Uh, yeah, it's, but uh, but uh, yeah, no, I I definitely felt that energy. I remembered um, my question or yes. my thing. The other thing we haven't talked about, mommy. The, oh, yeah. So the the like creature of sorts that that they encounter in the the bowels of this home, and the creature design of it was fascinating to me. Uh, shout out to it not being obscenely fat. Because that is always yeah. the go-to of those, like, oh, it's going to be so scary. That's what the, like, all of the the, yeah. it, the Stephen King it's kept mm. doing with the mom or whatever. But um, the creature design with these, like, pendulous breasts 
and this horrifying face with this teeth. But beyond the design, there was as much care and intent in creating what this creature was and developing unexpected sympathy for it. Oh, Because that is the thing that is generally not happening in a horror movie, right? Because you need, you're like, oh, scary and not scary or whatever. And there's not a lot of time for nuance always. And that this has, you're like, oh, that is terrifying. I'm very scared. That is definitely a threat. Oh, and then even just in the like one single sentence thrown off of how this person came to be and what shaped them, that that all reflected so quickly and that gave you like, oh, of course, they are born of darkness and assault. And then the only thing they watch is this like (laughs) breastfeeding video. Like I got this, that was it. That was all that this thing had watched for 40 years of existence between being uh, abused, beaten, and watching other people abused. I just was like, what a amazing, complicated villain to make. Oh, yeah. And then, I, you know, also a little supernatural and power and strength. Whatever yeah, oh, time. yeah. No, it's, that's that's one thing I was like, if horror movies taught us anything, it's that inbreeding makes you hyper strong. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. It's like, <laughs> but uh, there, yeah, that, that, was, that was one of the, like, moments I was, like, screaming because super producer Marissa was pointing out, like, she was the only one that humored her and was, like, playing along. And this... Justin Long just refused to play along. And I was like, my guy, I'd be like, go find help. I'm going to suck on this titty for like 24 hours. <laughs> it's fine. It's out of all the horror bullshit to be put through, that's my punishment. <laughs> cool. Yeah, go ahead. Plop. Go ahead. It was <laughs> just, I guess I'm just stuck here. Sucking on monster boob. Go get help, please. Uh, but, but it was uh, another great commentary on like, male versus female like in this world, the emotional takes, labor of women yes he takes such a hard line of oh no i'm gonna give the credit to the women in this one of who's like whose uh behavior is going to be the most protective or you know like compassionate oh, we're gonna we're compassionate and also but keep it like who's gonna live the longest because they're like if he said gonna play the rules yeah. no, and it's not the person with the biggest ego <laughs> yeah <laughs> Oh, all right. Well, uh, let's let's go, go ahead and vote, even though I think it's pretty uh, pretty uh, clear in this one. Yeah, I must screen it for the um, the whitest ombre in the land film. <laughs> um, no, I I really again went in totally blind, had a great time, was able on the times so when I was like, oh, this is a lot, or is this going to be more scary than I'm interested on this Tuesday afternoon? There was so much going on um, with clever and thoughtful detail in the writing that it it really it it took the whole thing up a lot. It it, it elevated the horror. No stop. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm for sure a screen it. Uh, a very entertaining time at the movies. Uh, it's so well crafted, so well acted. Um, yeah, I, I'm I'm not a horror person, but I had a great time. It's a fun movie to watch with an audience if you're at a place to do that, because I think different people react at different levels of things. Um, very much excited to see what uh, Mr. White Kid has next up, because this is, uh, <laughs> a, 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 you know, I think he co-directed like a comedy film before this, but this is his first solo directorial feature and his first horror film. And like, yeah, I, this is 
you know, extraordinary and, and I think really just delivers the goods in a way that is so smart and so, um, uh, uh, intentional and, and, and displays such a, a grasp of storytelling. I'm really impressed. Yes, yes, yes. I'm a, I'm a screen it as well. I, yeah, it was a fun movie going experience. It was, it was very interesting. Try and get it if you can, because the, the night we went, I went Friday and they only had screenings at seven and 10, no matter what theaters, there was two screenings and it was either, uh, that seven o'clock crowd or that, that late 10. And we went with the 10 crowd and I was expecting it to be pretty empty. And it was like filled, but not filled where I was like, oof, you know, like, yeah. and we're, and hearing everyone's kind of reactions and getting the laughs, and I was like, "Oh yeah, this is what Nicole Kidman's talking about." Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. Because here they are. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, uh, somehow heartbreak uh, feels great. Um, <laughs> hey, I, it's producer Marissa here. I just wanted to come on and also add a plug in seeing this in person. Just my personal experience of it. There was a moment early on in this movie when I involuntarily screamed like uh the only other time i could think of having a reaction like that is like on a roller coaster <laughs> when you're going down the hill and i screamed so loud that i started laughing because i screamed so loud which is also a thing that happens to me on roller coasters and i mean <laughs> it's a rare experience uh in life to uh have something visual on the screen like just make that big of a reaction in you so well there's your endorsement uh, yeah. Well, there it is. Uh, um, without that information, uh, we're just going to take a quick break. But we'll be right back after you hear from some other shows on Maximum Fun. Oh my gosh! Hi, I'm Dave Holmes, host of the pop culture trivia podcast, Troubled Waters. On Troubled Waters, we play games like motivational speeches. It goes a little like this. Riley, give us an improvised motivational speech on why people should listen and subscribe to Troubled Waters. I look around this ad and I see a lot of potential to listen to comedians such as Jackie Johnson and Josh Gondelman, and they need you to get out there and listen to them attempt to figure out sound rebus clues or determine if something is a Game of Thrones character or a city in Wales. I have chills. I'm going to give you 15 points. All that and so much more on Troubled Waters. Find it on MaximumFun.org or wherever you choose to listen to podcasts. Hey there, beautiful people. I'm Travel Anderson. And I'm Jared Hill. We are the hosts of Fanti, the show where we have complex and complicado conversations about the gray areas in our lives. The things that we really, really love sometimes, but also have some problematic feelings about. Yes, we get into it all. You want to know our thoughts about Nicki Minaj and all her foolishness? We got you. You want to know our thoughts about gentrification and perhaps some positive question mark Uh aspects of gentrification? We get into that too. Every single Thursday, you can check us out at MaximumFun.org. Listen, you know you want it, honey, so come on and get it. (laughs) Period. Welcome back to Maximum Film. I'm your host, Sophie Wadiway. In the studio with me are Alonzo Duralde, Drea Clark. And today's movie starts with a screwed up Airbnb reservation that goes downhill and downstairs, down the tunnel, around a bit, into another cage area. Uh, you know, uh, so much square footage. But <laughs> so imagine you'd rented out an Airbnb for the weekend. What's a movie, domicile, that you'd least 
like to find out you're spending the night in. This one's funny because there's there's like horror franchises built upon the house itself, right? Mm-hmm. Like you have yeah, like oh yeah. Amityville or uh, obviously the Bates Hotel, like the house <laughs> above Bates Motel, all right. of that. But I'll tell you what came to mind for me for t- two points in fulfilling this creative brief. Uh, one point would be I would absolutely look on paper and be like, I would like to rent that. And two, I would get there and be like, I have made a terrible mistake. <laughs> and that is the huge ass English manor in Crimson Peak. That is I was thinking Aller- of that one too. <laughs> yeah, Allerdale Hall. Because I would be like, oh, hell yeah, I could get a deal on this huge gothic, like, it's pre-Victorian probably, but like Victorian, enormous sort of castle thing like that is absolutely where andrea diane clark would like to spend vacation and then i would get there and it's like the details just from like the red clay seeping up through the snow snow so it just looks bloody all on the ground and and nobody mentioned that it'd be snowing in the foyer because of all the holes in the ceiling oh cool (laughs) and also as someone who has not lived in her beloved Midwest forever because I hate the cold. That whole movie, I was like, I'm freezing, I'm freezing, I'm freezing. <laughs> that house would be so cold. And then I'd be like, oh, you know, I'll, I'll take a hot bath to warm up. Don't worry, the bathroom also haunted. Oh, everything has mold on it, the whole house. Don't even worry about the ghosts or the weird <laughs> killer incestuous people, <laughs> one of which you are married to. It is the mold, the mold and the freezingness. Yeah, Allerdale, Allerdale Hall, big bummer, big bummer for me. Well, I was thinking like the obvious choice, of course, is like, you know, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre house, which, the, the, you know, uh, Barbarian also made me think of because the whole part where she's like freaking out and talking to the cops and they think that she's yeah. a crackhead and not just a woman who has survived a traumatic thing just made me think of like how many final girls, if they aren't white, are going to get this same treatment from the cops when they finally reach quote unquote safety, you know. Nice. Uh, but I would say mine is a, it's a, akin to the Crimson Peak house and that would be uh, Hill House from The Haunting, Ooh. Um, Ooh, which yeah. the ghosts are the issue because otherwise it's, you know, it's a pretty sweet piece of architecture. But yeah, that is, uh, no no one does well there and the uh, there's not a lot of good sleeping. And they don't give you like haunted houses like that, ghost ghost haunted houses. It's It transcends that like, oh, this does not, it, your belief in ghosts does not matter here, no, no. ma'am. These ghosts <laughs> believe in you. And that's what's going to be the problem. There's no escaping it. Like, oh, they are going to talk to you. They are going to inhabit you. Even or, if you're Russ Tamblin. Even if you're Russ Tamblin. If if what about you? The, the one that jumps to me is the house for mother. Because like all the these other sinks have, aren't braced, yeah, like like because you have like you know the horror ones where you got like a ghost situation, exactly. a creepy kid, all the. This is your whole house transforming and going yes. through time periods and getting crowded with people, and then a baby getting just mutilated, and I think that uh, that combination of things is harder to escape. <laughs> than uh, than maybe a ghost. One star on Yelp for that house. Yes. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> That's true because it takes it just from haunting and more 
into other supernatural elements. It's why one of the houses I considered was Winchester House, which is Ooh. also a real place. Like yes. that is an actual place that's probably <laughs> not just the basis of a shitty movie. <laughs> exactly. Oh, movie still the biggest disappointment we ever talked about here, but. Because it's such an interesting idea, like both the history behind it, the Winchester family, the regret, the idea of all of these different people in the family saying it was haunted by like the, the people who killed themselves with guns. But the, just the architecture of it, like I would rent that because I'd be like, what? Stairwe- stairwells to nowhere? Yes, that sounds great. Like they've just been like no one even knows how many how, rooms it has because there's no plan of the entire house because they keep just building shit on it. Yes. Oh, and also no. Like right. It is a yes quickly followed by a no. Real Drea fast. wants to create a map and a spreadsheet. God, I'm not gonna lie to you. I would be like Justin Long in there with my tape measure, <laughs> just getting a real lay of the land. What is the square footage I'm dealing with? I'd have a compass and uh, a whole thing. It'd be great. Ooh, yeah, that's a real dream. That's I'm putting that on the uh, vision, <laughs> list. What, the vision board. Bucket <laughs> yeah. list. Yes. Bucket list for Drea Clark. Make a schematic of Winchester House. <laughs> Blueprint that bitch. <laughs> yeah. We, I mean, we out of here. Oh, amazing. All right. Well, I guess... We'll do staff picks. Yes. <laughs> you guys, Show some I enthusiasm. An, I have yeah. an enthusiastic staff pick. I watched this just last evening. It was a delight to the senses, but I'm not going to lie. Was it entirely elevated for me? Because the lead character's name is Drea, and they say her name in this movie 50 times a scene because that is the nature of it. It is. Is it Do Revenge that is currently on Netflix, which is a... It's inspired by 80s, 90s, teen, like, revenge. You're sort of Heathers, but there's also, like, if Clueless went dark. And so it's Maya Hawk and Camilla Mendez from Riverdale. And, yeah, it's based on Strangers in a Train. And it's these two girls who are ending up at the same posh high school for senior year and they're going to take revenge on each other's enemies secretly and it is so fun and referential and then it gets absolutely bonkers which is all i ask of any movie truly but the styling of it's great it's so fun maria lewis cottoned this to me because there is a sophie turner two scene cameo in which she says cunt twice in the most beautiful manner. I have never laughed so hard. If you want to see Sophie Turner screaming, I don't even know what cocaine looks like, then this is the movie for you. It was so fun. Do revenge. Mm, God, stop selling, Drea. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm going to put my usual canopy to be choices aside for a week. Uh, there's a really fun movie that opened uh, this past week that is being brutally mismanaged by its studio, uh, but it opened simultaneously in theaters and on demand with little advertising for either. Uh, and that would be Confess Fletch, um, a return to 
the uh, Gregory McDonald snarky investigative reporter hero, uh, first brought to the the big screen in 1985 by Chevy Chase. Now John Hamm is taking a crack at it with director Greg Matola, who did uh, the uh, the Day Trippers and Adventureland, and it's a fun, goofy caper, uh, which like pretty much all Fletch movies and books uh, has a. A mystery plot in it because it sort of has to, but really is just there for Fletch to be a wiseacre and to uh, bounce off of various authority figures, including the great Marsha Gay Harden, who between this and Uncoupled and uh, The Morning Show is having a moment, and I'm here for it. Um, yeah, it's goofy, but like John Hamm is having a great time. He had, There's a little mini Mad Men reunion with John Slattery in a couple of scenes. Uh, it's a lot of fun, and you quite likely have no idea this movie exists because Paramount is just kind of dumping it. So if you want to see it in the theater, uh, it will probably be fairly empty uh, if that's a draw, or you can uh, watch it on demand, but you should. I had a really lovely, fun time with Confess Fletch. Nice. Ooh. Well, you know, Don't Breathe was such a good one that, you know, I'm going to make that my spiritual staff pick. But I'm also going to take y'all to Netflix uh, with another banger, uh, Untold. It's their documentary series, Sports Docs. I really like the one they did on Anne One because it was like my time period is the first time I really, not I wouldn't say the first time, but one of the few times I see a documentary that takes place when I was growing up and you get that weird nostalgia feeling where you're like, oh, I remember that. I remember that sale where if you went to Foot Action and you bought an Anne One sneaker, you got a mixtape for free. I, I remember the I remember all the kids talking about these events i remember hot sauce all right so that uh and it's really well done and if you don't know what and one is uh it's uh when three white guys in philadelphia was like what if we made big dog t-shirts for young black basketball players uh because that's basically what it is they're smack talking t-shirts that are like he was like i don't know what's 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 worse your game or your girl or something like that oh my but um God. Yeah, it blew up. It, uh, they were competing with Nike, but it was very funny to see uh, just uh, how capitalism worked and how Nike was able to just crush them when they needed to, uh, just by <laughs> doing what they did and attaching their name to it. Uh, <laughs> uh, but, you know, it, it was it was an Ouroboros for me because I was like, well, these are three white guys basically uh, selling black culture. So, you know, go ahead and let Mike, Nike go back to doing just that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Leave it to the professionals, please. <laughs> Amazing. You know, with that uh, being said, uh, what was Marissa? Marissa, you put your finger up. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. She she put an example of the shirts where it's like, go to church and pray you don't guard me, because that's where we are. uh, Is uh, T Public robots automating uh, shirts that exist uh, by companies (laughs) and selling it for basically the same price you probably could get it. Um, But yeah. Definitely uh, check that out. Uh, it's great. But uh, you know who else is great? Dre and Alonzo. Thank oh. you for another wonderful show. Thank you. Thank you, buddy. Yes, yes. And you. Thank you, listener, for coming down every week and putting us in your ears and uh, hearing all of our takes on movies and, uh, you know, just jamming with us. Uh, you know, I know it feels like you're right here with us. And, you know, even though we can't hear you, I do uh, feel, um, you know, your warmth, I uh, will say. 
<laughs> but if you have a comment or suggestion about this week's show, tweet at us at Maximum underscore film. Our Facebook group can be found at www.facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash Maximum Film or send us an email at Maximum Film at Maximum Our producer is Marissa Flaxbart. Our senior producer is Laura Swisher. And this is a production of Maximum Fun. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.